Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm your host, Carly Guyman, and I'm missing my co-host, Shaylin Back, today, who is on maternity leave spending time with her new baby boy. So congratulations to Shaylin, and I am missing her today. To those who listened to our episode last week, you'll know that the podcast is taking a short break from producing weekly episodes, but we couldn't pass up this opportunity for a special bonus episode today to commemorate the 180th birthday of the Relief Society. So today, I feel so honored to welcome to the podcast the members of the General Relief Society Presidency, President Jean Bingham, Sister Raina Umberto, and Sister Sharon Eubank. So Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is exciting. And it feels very fitting today that we're recording together from the Relief Society building, which is fun for me on Temple Square for this special episode. So thanks for welcoming me. (laughs) It's your building, not just our building. (laughs) That's what's neat about it, right? Um, We're excited today. Our listeners will get to hear from you, the whole presidency, as we celebrate this special anniversary. And with your help, we're going to be doing things a little bit different, which will be fun. We'll tell our listeners a little bit more about that as we go. As we talked in preparation for this special episode with your presidency about how we wanted to commemorate this, you very unitedly and almost immediately told us and directed us that you'd like to focus this episode on the theme of belonging in Relief Society. I wanted to ask why this has been something your presidency has emphasized and why you wanted to emphasize it again today on the episode. I think that one of the reasons is because we have heard so many sisters express that sometimes they feel that they don't belong in religious society. And that, of course, breaks our heart. But at the same time, we want to help them realize that there is room for everyone, that we all belong here, that if we just join our hands and our hearts and faith and desire to follow the Lord, then we are better together. We can do more things and He can help us. There is room for everyone. And I don't think that that's a modern interpretation. I think that was built into the foundation of Relief Society 180 years ago. So Joseph Smith, he gave those sisters an instruction from 1 Corinthians 12, which is, you know, all those scriptures about, can the eye say to the foot, I have no need of thee, the Lord needs the whole body. And then that scripture ends with, and then I give unto you a more excellent way. This is the end of chapter 12. And then it ends. And you have to flip the page over and start with 1 Corinthians 13 that starts with, And charity suffereth long and is kind. So it goes right into the motto of Relief Society, which is charity never faileth. This is the excellent way that the eye and the foot and the hand can all exist peacefully together. I think there's some real, I I know, it energizes me when I read about that. Me too. And I think about, you know, you talked about the sisterhood in the beginning of the church, that there were only 20, and then it grew quite quickly. But today we have, what, seven and a half million members of the Relief Society. We still have the same purposes. We still have the same purpose to relieve suffering and to save souls, to reach out to another. We have the same needs. We need to belong to a group who believes in God and wants to pattern our lives after His Son, Jesus Christ. I think belonging to this group gives us strength as well as examples to see how that's done. We derive strength from our association with one another. We give support to each other and our challenges, whatever they may be. And as we're united in our goal to live eternally with God and with our loved ones, we help each other over the bumps in the road that we all experience in this mortal life. We also see how staying on the covenant path brings happiness even in the midst of our challenges. That's what's so important about belonging to Relief Society. Mm -hmm. The blessings that come from that, that strengthen us and enrich us. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So as I mentioned, today's episode is going to be just a little bit different than our normal episodes. And each of you, each member of the General Relief Society Presidency identified a woman, someone she knows personally, whose life or story can teach us and kind of illustrate this idea of belonging in Relief Society. And today we're going to be hearing from them directly, either from conversations with or stories from these sisters We're going to start today with a story from President Bingham's friend, Tracy Browning. President Bingham, can you briefly introduce our listeners to your friend, Tracy? Oh, I could talk a lot about Tracy. (laughs) She is marvelous. She's remarkable in every sense of the word. Tracy is a member of our General Relief Society Council, and as such, she supports the presidency as she instructs and inspires and encourages women to live the gospel 
of Jesus Christ wherever she's assigned. Interestingly, she was born in New York. She was raised in Jamaica. She was a teenage convert to the church. She's now married and has two children. And I have to tell you, her organizational skills are top-notch, and she's a gifted communicator, and she has such a tender heart. Tracy shared a story with me about how she feels belonging in Relief Society. I'd love to share that story with you. A couple of years ago, my mom knocked on my home door in a bit of a panic. And I remember distinctly sitting in my front room with her and my husband and I, as she sort of detailed some really tough circumstances around my four-year-old nephew. My sister, she was a teenage mother. And in trying to figure out how to be a mom at a young age, I think she tried to do the best that she could. But the circumstances led to some challenges. And some of those challenges resulted in my nephew needing to be removed from her care a couple of times. My nephew had been with my husband and I for short stints of time as she found ways to create an environment that she was able to care for him. My husband and I and and my young daughter at the time were very happy to, to be a support to her. But this third time when the knock came, it was different. And we could tell that the circumstances of the removal were much more serious than any other time. We sat in my living room and just cried together because of how difficult those circumstances were. My first thoughts after being really concerned was how can I control the situation? When Cameron, my nephew, came into our home, he came with nothing. Essentially, he came with the clothes on his back and it became clear that he didn't have enough stuff. I felt like I was thrust in the middle of a crisis. I was not in a place where I was feeling a lot of the spirit. I was feeling a lot of fear and was feeling a lot of concern. So what I did was I resort to what I always do. I made a list because that's Tracy. So we went shopping that day and we got some clothes for him. And then we went to the grocery store to understand what kind of foods he needed. We went and got some toys because I didn't have any toys for boys at that age in my home. There's comfort in the things that I understood. There's comfort in the things that I knew how to do. When the reality is, is that so much of this, I didn't know how we were going to respond to and how to help this beautiful, innocent young boy. So I resorted to to strategies of comfort and and they worked for a little while and, and it was a good day. It was a good day, but there was still a cloud in the background and in the distance that I felt was coming towards us. I felt a lot of the heaviness of what was to come. Right before we were kind of thrust into this trial, my husband and I had made the decision to have another baby. I felt prompted that we were supposed to expand our family. And then we were thrust into this trial. So we put this idea of trying to expand our family that way on the back burner. And all of that energy was put into trying to see this resolved. I was feeling like this young boy needed to be here and needed to be here in a more permanent way. And we were bonding like a family just quickly. And that was intense. That was intense because I couldn't help what was happening in our home life. We were just bonding. I became mom, dad became dad, sister became sister. And when you start to realize I'm not looking at him as anything other than my child, that starts to blur the lines of the now these people might take away my child and put him in a dangerous situation. The challenge is, is that these sort of circumstances are not between you and the family. You know, you don't just come up with a plan and you work things out. You have government agencies involved. You have people who don't understand and have context and don't have the emotion that you have around these circumstances that they're doing their job, rightfully so. But when they come in and remove a child from your care, they are the decision makers. But, you know, our family has all of the emotion around and fear around what the result is of decisions that they're going to make that we're not a part of. And we just have to go along. And we were feeling that adoption was was the right option, that we didn't really see a reasonable set of circumstances where he could go back into that environment and be okay. As we kind of worked with these 
agencies and entities that were ultimately the decision makers. We just felt like we were being acted upon and had no agency in this situation. I felt out of control. I tend to to sink when I can't make the outcome be what I particularly want it to be. It can turn into depression. And when it does go to that end of the spectrum, my need to isolate myself shows up. Those circumstances were one where I think I went to the dark end of that spectrum and I just started to sink into myself and it was hard to see out of myself. I couldn't figure out what words to talk to God about because I just didn't seem to be getting any answers that felt comforting to me. So I stopped talking to God. I didn't have the energy to read the scriptures because I did not have enough of a sensitivity for the words to penetrate beyond the wall of hurt and disappointment and discouragement that I was feeling. I didn't have the energy to get up and go to church on Sunday because it was really painful to have people ask me questions about the circumstances and talk about what was happening without breaking down or feeling overwhelmed. It was easier to hide in my home and hide inside of myself. So I just withdrew from a lot of stuff. And I didn't really know how to feel better. You know, the the really interesting thing about feeling isolated is not that you actually want to be alone. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to feel hopeful. I wanted to be who I was, really an extroverted, outgoing, rather bubbly kind of personality. I just didn't know how to do that at that period of time. And it really took people who were going to come in and continue to extend an arm instead of me having to figure out how to climb. When you're an adult, I think it's really hard to figure out how to make friends. And Relief Society presented this really natural opportunity for me to associate myself with remarkable women that come from all different backgrounds. It created an opportunity to just naturally make friends. And then it became a feeling that I belonged to them and they belonged to me because we were real friends. And that sisterhood and that friendship was rooted and it was deep. And what I've recognized is that those close female relationships that I have that I look to now, the women that I depend on, are because I'm a part of this sisterhood called Relief Society. When I was at my lowest, these women showed up. They were not going to give up. They were going to knock on that door and they were going to, you know, say, hey, this is going to be hard. Can I have five minutes to give you a hug? And that's it. Or can I sit on the couch and just hold your hand and cry with you and then leave. As they continued to do that, I felt less alone in it. I knew I needed people to cry with me, to mourn with me, to show me that I wasn't the only one that was shedding tears about this really hard set of circumstances. And I loved them for it because I felt how much they cared about this thing that I cared about so much. And after a while, the other thing that they started to do was to make invitations, small invitations. Hey, let's just take a walk around the block. Let's get some air. Slowly, those invitations became powerful invitations. Invitations like Tracy, that seat that you normally sit in on Sunday feels really empty. We need you. Not just we miss you, we need you. And this is the amazing thing about God and the Spirit is that when it wants to pierce you and you need that invitation, it can go straight to your soul. And if somebody tells me they need me, that sounds nice, but am I really needed? But that invitation during that time felt powerful to me that I believed them, that there was something that I was supposed to do and also something that I needed. And the only place to get it was to be back in that pew. Accepting those simple invitations from my friends, I started to feel light again. And because of that, other invitations became less scary. Eventually, I had another one of my friends, one of my sisters, who said, I think that you should probably go in 
and talk to the bishop about what's happening and just fill him in. Going into the bishop's office and sitting down and kind of for the first time laying out all the details of what was happening in my family and all the fears that I had and being really vulnerable to a very kind and loving priesthood leader was actually quite cathartic. When he said to me, I think the ward should fast for you and your family, I felt a burden lift. I felt I felt something released from my shoulders. I left that that meeting with my bishop feeling lighter and feeling grateful that I was going to have more of that connection that I was starting to feel as our entire ward unified around this opportunity. And, you know, two years later or so, because that's probably how long it took, when I was in the Ochre Mountain Temple with my husband and my son, and we were kneeling across an altar to be sealed together, I realized just how much letting God prevail was the best possible outcome and how much I wish I had not fought against it so much before. It was not what I understood was the outcome of a desire to expand my family. It was so much more. And we weren't in that room alone. There were many of those same women that made small invitations that sat and cried with me that loved me through the hardest period of my life, that wanted to celebrate, that wanted to be there to see eternity be linked. I understand now when the scriptures say that the Lord is always with you because I watched women who were showing up in the ways that I think the Savior would show up for me and was showing up for me through them. They brought with them power and I felt that. And that power was propelling me and was inviting light back into my life. It's a circle. I connect myself to God and I connect myself to others and through others I get connected to God and so on. And they really, really demonstrated that. That's belonging to me. I never question if I was on the outside of those relationships. Those women let me know that I belong to them. And I loved them because they were there at the beginning, they were there in the middle, and they were there at the end. That sisterhood, that's belonging. These women are my tribe. Oh, I felt such love and compassion for Tracy in her deep distress. You know, my heart seemed to cry with hers, and I felt such great appreciation for those Relief Society sisters who reached out to relieve her suffering. Connecting Tracy to the Savior was a result of the sisters' efforts to support and strengthen her in her trials. They couldn't have found a better way to support her than connecting her to the Savior. I was in a meeting this morning with President Ballard. We were talking about service, but he was saying, I don't ever want us to lose fact of the most impactful service is mostly very tiny things. And I thought of that when we were listening to Tracy, someone who just sat on the edge of her bed or took her for a walk. Those are not big things that we have to prepare for in some way. It's just an expression of love. And I think that's what helped her. I think it helps all of us. Don't judge and show me love, and then I can make progress. Well, and what she said is they showed up. They just showed time up for me. Time after time in mm-hmm. small ways. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the story is that she was trying to shut them off, her life, because she was suffering so much. And she was even not feeling the, the spirit, and she was feeling kind of far from God and from her friends. And that's sometimes a, a reaction that we, that we have, you know, when we are suffering. We think that we are the only ones and that nobody else needs to know. But she, and it's hard to reach out yes, when you feel that way. Yes, but they kept coming. They kept coming, even though she kind of wanted to be by herself, but she didn't have to be. And she says that at some point. She said, they showed me that I was not alone in this suffering. They were suffering with me. And I think that's really beautiful that they kept coming to look for her and to bring her to the Savior. And we can do that as sisters. They went from the very beginning to the end. They didn't stop loving her. They didn't stop reaching out, no matter whether she responded right away or not. But they were there in times of distress and in times of joy. That's how we need to be true sisters. 
And that's an important part of that. Rather than trying to solve the problem, they just grieved and suffered with her. They just were with her in that. And I think anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. She gave a very simple definition of sisterhood, which was they cared about what I cared about. And that continued to, they rejoiced with me when there was this joyful ending. They were sad and they mourned with me. They just cared about what I cared about. And I think that was a really simple and beautiful definition. So they were living up to their covenants because we have covenanted to do that, right? To mourn with those that mourn. And her journey from being alone in her room, just suffering, to the end when she said, this is my tribe. I don't know if that's exactly what she said, but these are my people. That's the journey I think we make, and Relief Society helps us make it. Relief Society is not a club or a, a class on Sunday or something. It's, it's the way we express our devotion to Jesus Christ. It's that way that we're trying to be like him. Sometimes we succeed and sometimes we don't. Hopefully we give each other grace for that. But it's an expression of our tie to Jesus Christ. And that's why it's different than anything else that exists in the world or the, anything else we could choose to belong to. That's a beautiful expression when we think about the Savior, what he's done for each one of us, that we make mistakes, every one of us, but when we give each other the grace to forgive one another, he also forgives us. Well, thank you, President Bingham, for letting us get to know Tracy and for sharing that story with us. Next, we want to move to Sister Eubank. Sister Eubank, when we talked with you about this topic of belonging, you thought of a young single adult you met last year named McKaylee Burton. Tell us a little bit about McKaylee. I had this assignment to go to a five YSA stakes, and there was a big devotional with Elder Gong. But as part of that, there was a service project. And because it was COVID, we couldn't, we couldn't do the service project we wanted to. And so they were donating socks for the homeless shelter. So car after car after car lined up, and they'd hand me their socks, and then I'd hand them a treat. I said, who organized this? This is like clockwork. And it was McKaylee Burton, who was the young single adult secretary in that stake. So she and I got to know each other. We were laughing. She knows everybody in every car that goes by. But just recently, she was called to be the stake Relief Society president of that YSA stake. She's 22 years old. She's one of the youngest stake Relief Society presidents I've ever met. And she's remarkable. And I thought she would have a lot to say on this topic as a young leader in the church with her experience. So I thought, let's reach out to her. And we had a really great discussion. I am so happy today that my guest is McKaylee Burton. And McKaylee and I met about, I'm thinking maybe two years ago. I liked getting to know you that night because we were sharing about, you know, experiences that shape us. And I was telling you that it was hard for me to, to make the decision to serve a mission. And at that time, a lot of sisters didn't serve. And so it was kind of unusual. I was the first sister missionary from my ward to ever go. And there was a lot of stir about, you know, my decision and should I or shouldn't I. Yes. And you told me an opposite story about your own experience. Would you just tell that yes. how you felt about the decision to serve or not serve a mission? Yeah, absolutely. Serving a mission was always something that I had planned on doing. My older sister served, one of them didn't, and then my brother served. And I just thought, okay, that's that's what I want to do. That was my plan. And as I got to kind of the end of my senior year, I had realized that I hadn't even asked the Lord if that was something that I should do or not. I'm willing to admit I was a little naive because I just thought, hey, I'll ask and I'm worthy. The Lord will say yes, right? When I did, I got told no. And I remember being kind of shocked and then thinking to myself, that must not have been right. That couldn't have been right. And I thought, okay, maybe no means not right at this moment. Maybe I need to get some schooling done or ask in a few months. And end of my senior year came few months later, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to ask again. And I did. And I remember just, I will never forget this feeling of this voice in my head that was just, McKaylee, I'm so sorry, but that is just not what I have in store for you. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated, honestly. My dad taught seminary and there was... A, there was kind of an expectation that I would and the age change had happened. And so, so many worthy sisters were serving and I just wanted to serve so bad that I couldn't understand why the Lord was telling me no for something so righteous that I wanted so badly. We're told all the time, you know, your righteous desires can come true. And that was a righteous desire that I had. It was a battle for me for about a year and a half after that, because I really was trying to figure out why can't I go? And you kind of battle that inner demon of, oh, I'm not good enough. And all of those lies that Satan tries to tell you to flop it back on the Savior that just aren't true. 
But for me, it was really a battle of the heart. But ultimately, I have now realized that that was just something that the Savior did not have planned for me. I really like that you're sharing that story because I think, well, I'll just tell you, when I was first called in to serve at a General Relief Society capacity, there were all kinds of people that would say to me, oh, I, I don't fit into Relief Society. Relief Society, I'm not like Relief Society, and I, I'm on the outside and I fit in. And I heard so much of that that I started to realize Nobody feels like they fit in. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons is about these unique decisions that we make in our lives to work or to not work, to go to school or not go to school, to serve a mission or not. And all of those choices are viable and right, depending on the revelation that we wrestle down from the Holy Ghost. And I made a different decision than you and that it was right for both of us. And you yeah. had this really strong feeling. And I, I wonder, since you had that experience, What have you learned or what would you tell the Relief Society and your stake about different life experiences and how we can all be valued and fit in? So I've now been called as Stake Relief Society president for my YSA stake, and I'm the first YSA in that stake to be a Relief Society president. And when my stake president sat down with me, I remember thinking, you have got to be joking. There is no way. And I said to him, I said, President, I am 22 years old. And I was worried because there's a lot, I mean, age range, right? Night 18 to 31. I was like, there are a lot of people here that could not take me seriously because of my age. I do not have the wisdom to serve in this capacity. And my state president just said to me, age is not an issue here. A few weeks ago, I was teaching a lesson in Relief Society. And I remember the Lord going, everything's going to be okay. This is where I needed you to be. Mm -hmm. And now I've realized that my calling is my mission. And my grandpa used to always tell me, "You, you serve a mission every day of your life. You don't have to go on a mission to serve a mission. But I have not understood the value of that until just recently. I go through so many activities and I attend so many things and so many meetings and I get to reach out to so many people. And I genuinely now feel so lucky that I get to do what I do and I get to love as many as I love. And I told my parents just the other day, I said, I have been in the stake now for about two years. And I said, I would have served a mission for 18 months. And that would not have gotten me where I'm at right now Mm -hmm. to make the path to doing what I'm doing. I felt judged a lot for not going on a mission. People always make comments. They always have something to say about decisions that you make. And I have just come to realize my biggest advice that I like to give the sisters in my stake is that the Lord knows you better than anybody else does. Your revelation is no one but yours. And if the Lord tells you that that is not what you need to do, then you don't need to worry about what anybody else has to say because it always works out so much better than anything that we had in mind for us. Even if we don't see the value right now, eventually we will. I really like what you said because I think all the scriptures pair patience and faith. Faith, but there's always that patient aspect. And you experienced that when you had this devastating answer that was no, and it took a while to figure out why. What do you think we could do to not judge each other for the decisions that we're making, you know, according to the revelation that we have? I remember a specific experience of I had come home from the grocery store just a few months after being told no. And I had ran into a family friend who had not made a very kind comment. And I came home and I cried. And I cried and I cried. And my father approached me and he got down on the same level as me. And he said, you are not about to throw away a testimony that you have spent all of your life creating just to save my reputation Mm -hmm. or to save your own reputation. The Lord knows where you stand. You know where you stand. That's all that's important. And I feel like from that day on, I've always tried to be pretty non-judgmental, but experiencing it for myself, I've really realized, okay, that is really not my place to judge. It's cliche when people say, you know, walk in other people's shoes. But I think it's so true because we all live and have such different realities from one another that for someone else being told no, going on a mission would not have been a big deal for them. They would have been like, okay. But for me, it was devastating. Where are some things that I have done? If they would have been told no, it's a huge deal to them. But to me, it's, it's not a big deal. And so I think just remembering that 
this relationship that we have with the Savior is so personalized that we don't even fully understand it. And so we can't try and understand it for somebody else. Thank you for sharing that. It's so personal, and I can tell how emotional you feel about that. But I think we've all come home from the grocery store and cried about something that somebody has said to us. And and we want to be able to extend grace, you know, to them, and we want to we want Relief Society to somehow be a place where we can all share the thing that's on our heart. It's hard to recognize revelation. You don't always know exactly. And to kind of process it and yes. work through it is a help if we can, if we can be patient yeah. enough with each other not to judge. And I think that's the key right there is patience, being patient enough with each other because we're all at different spots spiritually, physically, mentally, like all of, all of those We're we're in such different places And I think that's the most beautiful thing about the Savior is that I tell my girls all the time, you don't have to meet the Savior where he's at. He will meet you where you're at, and he will help you get to where he's at if you let him and if you have patience. Well, we recognize we're not going to be 100% perfect at this, but we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep striving so that Relief Society is a place or ministering or anything else that we're doing, just our interactions with each other. It's a place where we give each other the patience and the space to be whatever it is we're becoming. So I think that's one reason that we can fit in. I, you brought yeah. that up, but I think that's a really good point. I think everybody has something to bring to the table. Everybody has a seat when it comes to Christ. That's what I love about the church is that every opinion means something and it should mean something and it does because everyone is a child of God. And I look at even my own presidency and each of us are very different. And I sit in presidency meetings and I just thank my heavenly father that I have them because they see so many things differently than I do. And that helps me realize many hands make light work and we're far better together than we are alone. Oh, I love that. I think about when I read the scriptures, I look at all the different kinds of people that Jesus reached out to. And it seems like he almost made a huge point of reaching out to the Samaritan woman and the woman at the well and the Roman tax collector and, you know, the centurion. And when he's with the Nephites, he goes through everybody. And then he says, and I want you to bring your children to me because I value them so much. And he looked at every one of them in the eye and, and healed them. And I just wonder, as we finish today, could you share what it is you've learned from the Savior Jesus Christ about how to include people and make us all feel the value that we have in the eyes of God? That is a very sensitive topic for me, I think, because nobody is excluded from feeling like they don't fit in or like they are alone in something. I think every human has felt that in some form or another from some experience. The biggest thing that I have always wanted to do is just let people know, hey, if you feel nobody else loves you, I do. If you feel you have nobody else to call, even if I'm your last resort, you can call me. You can count on me. I think that the Lord and Him being there for me when I felt like that kind of made me realize I have the ability to do that to other people because it doesn't take much, right? Going up, striking up a conversation, saying hi to somebody in the hall at church. People remember those things, those really small things that we sometimes see as so insignificant. People remember and they don't forget. Being able to do that for the Lord is a way, a very small way that I tell myself I can try along with, you know, keeping the commandments and those other things. That's something extra that I can do to try and repay him for everything that he's given me is, okay, Lord, let me go out and get to know as many of your children as I can. Let me get to love as many as I can. And maybe to him, it's probably something so small compared to everything else that's going on. But if I can even make a difference for one person, that's one person compared to none. And I'm just very grateful that the Savior has always been able to allow me to do so. And he's given me a personality that makes it so that I don't have an issue talking to people. I don't have an issue striking up that conversation. But I think that if you ask, he's willing to help. And so for me, I've just always wanted everybody to feel like they have a spot with me and they have a friendship with me. And if they need something, they can come to me. And that came all because of my Savior. 
that was McKaylee Burton and Sister Eubank. So Sister Eubank, I have been thinking so much about something that you said. I really appreciated your thought that when we create space and room for everyone, we do fit. We all fit in Relief Society. And you and McKaylee talked about a couple things that we can do. We can withhold judgment to create that space. We can allow others to trust in the revelation they've received for their own life and that those things can create that space. What more can we do to create this space so that all sisters feel that they can fit in Relief Society? This maybe isn't the perfect example, but I was thinking about when I was McKaylee's age, I couldn't tie my shoe. I could, there's no way I could be ever as articulate <laughs> as she was. But I was called as a Relief Society teacher in a single adult ward because it's where I lived. And so everyone there was older than I was. I was, I don't know, I was probably 19 years old. And I was called to teach Relief Society and I worked. I mean, I practiced, I wrote everything out and I get up on Sunday and I give the best lesson Everything that I'd done, and it was like eight minutes long. I have now taught Relief Society. I've given everything I have, and it's eight minutes. And I just look out over the audience, panic-stricken. And then I see these older women, and they start to raise their hand and make these lengthy comments. <laughs> and, and, you know, that reminds me of something else, and they would make another comment. They got me through the 40 minutes of my first lesson in Relief Society. And there's something about that story that in that space that we're creating, that we allow people to be successful at the level where they are, not at our level where we've been teaching Relief Society for 40 years and we can do it for three hours. But I gave my eight minutes and that was all I had. And then they helped me be successful. And I will forever love those women. And I didn't even know them and they didn't really know me, but they looked at the situation and said, oh. I can help this. But they created a space where I was able to leave the chapel or the building feeling like, okay, it went all right and I can try again. I can try again. Yeah, Maybe they, get 10 minutes they, next they, time. They gave me some space. So I think about something like that. It's not a one-word answer, but the space for us to be successful where we are. And recognizing that everyone really does have something to give and valuing that. Absolutely true. What I love about Relief Society is that we are all so different, that it's a place where I get exposed to people who do not feel the same as I do on a multitude of issues, and that that makes me think and respect them and interact in different ways. And so I'm happy for that kind of a opportunity. Well, I feel that sometimes when we feel that we don't belong, it's because we think that we are the only one that has gone through this or that. You know, that we are the only one that is different. But then everybody else has their life together and they know what they're doing and they're very happy. But I feel that when we really get to know other people, when we take that time to make that space for them in our heart, in our life, and then we get to know them, we realize that we are all struggling or trying our best. You know, that nobody's perfect and we are just trying just in, on the same boat. But we are different, and that is the, the beautiful thing, just like Sister Eubank just said, that that's what makes it so special, that each of us can bring our own contribution and, and offering to the Lord, and together we can, we can do this better. And I think appreciating the differences is one of the keys. We are so different. Every single person, there's not two people in, on the whole earth that are the same. Heavenly Father created us to be different we all have a different bundle of talents. We all have a different um, abilities and capacities. We all have different backgrounds. So rather than seeing those as reasons why I don't belong or she doesn't belong, we all belong. And look at those differences as benefits and blessings. I remember being a brand new mother, and I was called to be the mother education teacher in society. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in a family ward, a geographic ward. And of course, there were many, many older mothers than I, and I was just you know, using the manual and telling what I knew and bless their hearts. None of these women made me feel like I was not capable or I didn't have anything to share, but they added to what I had. So can we do that to one another in Relief Society? Can we add to each other so that we can build the strengths that each person has? I want to have a practical application of what you just said, because I think sometimes in Relief Society particularly, we get stuck on, well, we've always done it this way. This is our tradition. And we have a lot of traditional behaviors that build up in our Relief Societies, and it crowds out the room to let somebody who has a different idea try something new. And somehow I think we have to carve away or give up those old traditions and just realize, let's try something different that's good for us. And, mm -hmm. and, and it gives people a space to do something. So yeah. looking for revelation together. That's what you're saying, right? But I wanted to say that if you want a sample of three different women that are put together to do something for the Lord, 
you are looking at them. The three of us, we are so different. And many times I have felt like I'm not like Sister Bingham, I, I'm not like Sister Eubank, you know, I cannot really give much. But I think that is not the point. I think the point is that the Lord called us to do this. We have given our best effort and we have done it together with each of us contributing in different ways. And hopefully the Lord is pleased with our offering. Yes, that's so beautiful. And it is beautiful to see the three of you together and what you give and what you contribute. As we are hearing from these different women and talking with you, I'm just thinking of the gifts that we each have and that those are so needed. We need these diverse gifts. We need these different experiences. And it it comes together in this beautiful whole. And you see that in your presidency. You see that in a Relief Society and Award. I love that about Relief Society. I think one of the great things that makes our presidency work is the ability of President Bingham to not feel competitive or to feel like she has to do everything that one of us does. She is happy to leverage someone else's strengths in an instance, and it really allows a freedom for us to do lots of different things. And that quality in a leader to leverage other people where they're strong, it it helps a lot. And President Bingham's a good example of that. She has trusted us. I remember in the beginning when we had the first meetings, I asked her, do you need to see my messages and everything that I'm going to do? And she said, no, I trust you. I know that the Lord will help you. You can go and do. That's because I know that the Lord chose them. If this work were left up to me, it would not happen. The Lord knew what I needed in counselors, knew that the particular talents that each one of these women had would complement the little bit of talent I had, and it would create the kind of synergy that we needed in order to do His work in the best way. So knowing that the Lord is in charge always makes you a better presidency. Well, and this is so silly and a little bit cliche, but when I think of pieces fitting together, a puzzle doesn't fit together if every piece is the same. That's you know, true. Exactly. they all have to be different pieces mm-hmm. and they're different shapes and some are edges and some, you know, I'm thinking of my little son. He needs those edge pieces, but it just doesn't work if we're all the same. And what I hear too, when you're talking is we can receive that confirmation and assurance, not necessarily when we look around at, do I need to look more like her? Do I need to be more like her or be more like this president or this Relief Society? But when we tap into the guidance we're receiving from the Spirit and look at what has the Lord given me? What can I give? And something that I learned from Sister Eubank from the beginning, she told me, Reina, you have to find your own voice. You don't need to sound like everybody else. And that helped me so much. So they have been wonderful to me. What a voice it is. (laughs) And Sister Roberto, we want to end this episode with a story that you shared with us from your friend Lily Bolianos. Tell us a little bit about your friend Lily. Yes, Lily was a young girl. She was 14 when I met her about 10 years ago. She came to our Spanish-speaking world in Orem, Utah, and she's such a strong sister in the gospel. A few years later, she went on a mission. Now she's married. So recently, I had the chance to sit with Lily and Elena, my daughter, because they were friends when they were teenagers. And uh, so I would like everyone to listen to them. I'm so delighted to be today with my daughter, Elena Burto, and my friend, Liliana Bolaños. I would really like to have Lily tell us the story. How did you come to church, Lily? And how did you feel when you got there? I'm so excited to to have this conversation today. And these are great memories to think back on. At the time, I was 14 years old. So it was my last year of middle school. And my family and I uh, were all Catholic. We're from Mexico. My family is very traditional. And so I was an altar girl in the Catholic church, which meant that I would go up to the front with the father and help him during mass or the Sunday service. And I remember that during my time preparing for that, we would study the Bible as a group. And I had lots of questions that went unanswered. So during that time, I went to my best friend, Rocio, who was in the Aburto's ward at the time. And I went to her and and asked these questions. And I'll never forget that she didn't answer any of my questions. She said, I honestly don't know. Those are all really good questions. I don't know if we have a prophet on earth. I don't know all these things, but... All I know is that when I go to church, I feel loved and I feel special. And I know that if you go there, you can feel peace as well. I thought that was a really great answer because Rocio didn't try to 
answer all my questions and and memorize all this doctrine to convert me but she just loved me and she just was so sincere in the way that she shared her testimony and for me it really helped me see that heavenly father he doesn't expect us to be scholars in the doctrine when we share the gospel he just wants us to be honest he wants us to love people and be genuine and so i really think that rocio set the path for me to understand that i i needed to pay attention to how i was feeling and not focus too much on the answers to these questions that I had. Yes. So you're saying that we need to customize the way we minister to people and the way we help them come to Christ, right? That's what yeah. I'm hearing you say. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So what happened when you got there? When I got there, I actually had a lot of my questions answered in the first hour during the sacrament meeting. They talked all about the prophet Joseph Smith and the restoration of the church. And that was what a lot of my questions about religion and Christianity in general were about. So it was really cool to have those questions answered. And then along with that came lots of friends and lots of opportunities to serve others, which is something that I hadn't had before. But in the Young Women's Program, we had a lot of opportunities to get to know different people and, and to serve people. And it helped me feel so loved. And it helped me realize how much love I had to share as well. Yes. How long did it pass between that first time you came to church and the time you joined the church, actually? It was a few months. It was about five or seven months, just because it took a while for my parents to feel comfortable with the idea of me getting baptized. So yes. it took some time, but eventually they came to church and felt what I felt and they allowed me to be baptized. You have told us that also your young women leaders, the adult leaders help you feel welcome. How do you think that happened? What did they do? During that time, my mom and I were going through a hard time in our relationship because my mom was very hurt that I was exploring a, a new religion. Like I had mentioned, my family is very traditional. And so it kind of felt like I was rebelling or separating myself from our family traditions. And during this time, I had leaders that were such great mother figures to me. And that always encouraged me to continue to love and respect my mom and to continue sharing my testimony with her. And I just feel like it was so easy for those leaders, you know, to kind of pull me away from my mom or to encourage me to just keep coming to church despite how it made my mom feel. But instead, they showed me love and they taught me how to share that with my mom so that she could eventually feel the spirit as well. And she did. So I think these leaders were just such great mother figures and they helped me see what kind of woman and mother I wanted to be as well. That is so beautiful. I'm so happy to hear that they really embraced you. Now, Elena, you remember that time, right? When Lily came to our ward, you were a young woman also. How did observing Lily's conversion strengthen your own faith as a young teenager? I don't even know if Lily knows this, but that branch was formed in like 2009. And when that branch first started, my mom was the president of the Young Women's and I was pretty much the only active young woman. And my mom did a really good job in ministering to the less active young women, but nobody really stuck around though. I was the only one and it was lonely, but my family and I had the faith that we needed to be there. So I kept going to church every Sunday. And I've realized now, looking back, that we needed to be there in case somebody like Lily came along. Mom and I were talking yesterday about this and saying, wow, even if that branch was only created for somebody like Lily, it was all worth it because Lily's amazing. Just being able to see the fruit of our efforts is so beautiful. And especially if it's somebody like Lily, who's just a rock star and she is an amazing missionary herself. It really strengthened my faith in that regard. Yes. Well, the thing is that I remember there were a lot of prayers back then when the branch was opened. Uh, a lot of prayer and fasting that happened. You know, we were prayed and prayed for more young women to come. And I know that when you came, Lily, there were other young women there. So it was not only you, but every one of those young women, when they came, I will tell them, you are the answer to our prayers. You are here because we were waiting for you. And I was not a, a young women leader when you came. But I think that, you know, you were also part of the, the answers to those prayers. And that is why we need to keep coming and keep gathering, I feel, because we never know when someone will come in need of comfort and healing from the Savior. And we just need to keep bringing each other to the Savior. And then you became a, a missionary, right? Yes. Uh, and you, yes. You have told us also that 
Well, you started a mission in Washington, D.C., the Washington, D.C. South Mission. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you have told us that you felt like the black sheep there because you were a new member and you felt like you probably didn't belong and that you didn't know as much as the others. Tell us how, how that worked out. Yeah, what, what happened was I needed to be humbled because <laughs> I was just too prideful. I just, I really felt like being a brand new missionary, I just met all these sister missionaries that I thought had perfect families that I thought, you know, had perfect lives and that had the gospel throughout their lives. So I think in a way I was a little bit envious and I was just very unaware of the trials that members face as well. I remember thinking that the missionaries were just so patient and graceful and had all this support. And, and I wanted to be that way. And I kind of felt like in order to be a good missionary, I had to completely change who I was to be patient, to be graceful, to have all this knowledge and all this experience within the gospel. And I remember that my trainer, her name is Natalie McCracken. She would always tell me, Hermana Tapia, you are exactly who you need to be in order for the Lord to use you so he can teach certain people. And I, I wanted to believe that, but I didn't. And so I prayed every single night as a missionary. And I said, Heavenly Father, please help me to believe this. And every day we would meet people and I would have special connections with them because I was Hispanic or because I grew up undocumented like them, because I lived my life without the gospel for a long time like them. As I started to realize how unique and special I was, it was easier to see how unique and special everyone around me was. And I learned that in order for me to feel like I belong in the gospel, I really just need to be myself. And I need to believe that if I'm doing the best I can to be the best version of myself, I'm exactly who I need to be. And that that's the truth for everyone else. So I really think that in order for us to feel that belonging, we have to believe that that's true about ourselves first. And then once we believe that, we can share that with others. That is so beautiful, Lily. I think that you are so right. We first need to believe that we are special, that the Lord loves us and that he will help us so we can go and help other people. So what would you tell the sisters that maybe they feel that they don't belong? And how can we make our church, our young women, our religious society, a more inclusive place where everybody feels that they belong? I would echo what my trainer told me on my mission, and it's that we are all exactly who we need to be in order for the Lord to help us touch certain people's hearts and to connect with certain people. I just think no matter who you are, how you've grown up, the mistakes you've made, things that you've experienced or have yet to experience, Heavenly Father has given you certain gifts and talents. And if you trust that, and if you do the best you can to just love other people, we can be amazed at the miracles that Heavenly Father can accomplish through us. I just think about the things you two have shared about your faith and, and your prayers and, and growing the Young Women's Program in your ward and, and the blessings that's brought to my life directly. And I just think that you were both exactly who you needed to be at that time. I actually remember, Hermana Burto, the, the first time I ever met you. And I just remember how welcoming you were. But the number one thing that I remember is just your hug. I just felt so much love when you hugged me. Hermana Aburto is, is the best hugger <laughs> for whoever doesn't know that. And I just remember that. And I really think it's important to, like you said, Hermana Aburto, to remember that it's the small things that help others feel welcomed in the long run. So we just need to trust that we're exactly who we need to be. Yes, that is so beautiful. Thank you, Lily, because I, again, I don't specifically remember when I hugged you the first time, but I just remember how happy I was when I saw you coming there with Rocio, your friend. Now, Elena, what would you tell the sisters? I literally almost never feel like I belong anywhere because I suffer with anxiety and depression. So my brain like literally believes that everyone else is better than me and that everyone has their life together and I don't. And I know that that's not true, but that's just how my mind works most of the time. Something that's helped me is to just be vulnerable, like to express that something's wrong. And then I realize that everyone else feels that same way too. Not even just in Relief Society, but even at school, if I say, oh, the homework is really hard, everyone agrees with me. It's not like it was easy for anyone, right? <laughs> also, something that my mom told me once is that maybe one of the reasons we don't feel like we belong is because we don't actually belong here and we belong with our heavenly parents in heaven. 
we're just here on a temporary stop and we actually belong in heaven though. Something that helps me too is to just really do my best to feel the spirit in order to feel like I'm in heaven now. And the easiest way for me to do that is by focusing on other people instead of myself. Because when I do that, when I really try to focus on somebody else's problems, then I don't feel as insecure anymore. And I realize that everyone feels insecure. So for example, just like if I'm feeling really lonely, I try to say hello to somebody new at church because they probably feel lonely. I don't know. I just really believe that we are all struggling and we all need each other. That was Lily Bullianos, Elena Alberto, and Sister Alberto. And what an amazing person and a special person and such a beautiful message. I can't stop thinking about that, what she said, that you are exactly who you need to be in order for the Lord to use you. Well, I think it's so true. Sometimes we think that we have to be a different person for the Lord to use us. But I feel that, like we said before, each of us has talents and gifts and strengths that we can put on the table. And it doesn't mean that we are going to be always what we are right now because the Lord will change us and He will make us something better. But what it means is that we don't have to be somebody else. We don't have to be like anybody else. We just have to look inside us and, and see those wonderful things that the Lord has already done with us and then offer them to Him and to others. You can't look around in nature and not think that the Lord doesn't love variety because every night the sun sets and it looks different every single night. I think He really loves that. And as we become more refined in the gospel, as He works with us longer, I don't think we become homogenized that we're like each other. I think we become more pure versions of our unique selves and so that there's a variety of people who are really, really good when they live the gospel. You know, I see that expressed in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. We have opportunities to be with them in meetings. They are very, very different. Their personalities, their backgrounds, their outlooks. And it's fascinating because each one has marvelous contributions and have made that. If we look at our sisters in that very same way, every single one has meaningful contributions, needed contributions. And we don't have to look like each other and be useful, be helpful to the Lord and to the kingdom. That's the beauty of it. We can be very different, just like the three of us are very different. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think of the very simple example of Lily's friend, Rocio, who wasn't even attending church, didn't really know very much about the gospel, but brought her friend to church and directed her to the light. And that's all she needed to be at that moment. I don't know where Rocio is now or what she's doing now, but... Well, the wonderful thing is that they grew together in the gospel. They stayed active, both of them. They both went on their missions. In fact, they left the same day. They were companions in the MTC. And they serve their missions. Yeah. <laughs> and now they are both married, too. And they are still great friends. So they helped each other. They helped each other in the covenant path. And they keep doing that. And now they are helping other sisters. That is the most wonderful thing. They are leaders in their words. And, and they are doing their best in, in trying to help other people now. And I think something that demonstrates, and I think it was also something your daughter said, is that when we are vulnerable— that helps us realize that we're not alone. And I think of the vulnerability of a little girl, a teenager who just says, I don't really know that much about this church and I can't answer your questions, but I do remember feeling really good about being there. Yes, yes. And there's a moment in every Relief Society class when you're asking for comments and somebody will share something, they'll be a little bit vulnerable. And then you wait to see, does that get glossed over or does that get augmented? Enhanced. Enhanced. And that's really the difference where the spirit can come into a meeting like that. And I think of these really difficult challenges that these individuals were facing. Lily talks about the challenges with her family are these traditional Catholics, and she's wanting to join this church and how hard that was. I think of McKaylee struggling, sad and devastated that she doesn't get to do what she always thought that she would do. Her life isn't looking the way she thought it would. And Tracy was, I mean, she says she was experiencing depression, really suffering, wondering what is the outcome of this going to be for my family? And None of them would have been able to find connection without being vulnerable. None of them would have built the sisterhood and found that sisterhood without sharing with someone, you know, this is actually what's going on. And that's the beauty of vulnerability and why that's needed in Relief Society. And we use a word called ministering, and it's a big word, but that's all that that really is. It's being vulnerable and responding to each other. This is actually what's going on in my life and people responding to that. That's exactly right. 
And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit. I think that we are doing a lot as women, as members of Relief Society, as covenant women of the Lord. We are doing a lot, but of course we can always do more. But I think that we also need to give ourselves some credit, that mm-hmm. we are doing great things because that's what we do as women. Mm-hmm. We are always helping each other, helping others and children and youth and everyone. Well, and that charity is much more than an act. It's an attitude and kind of a an orientation toward the world. And you don't have to really do anything to be charitable. It can just be the way you respond when you're in a situation, when you're talking to someone, when you observe something. And keeping it simple, like we talked about, is one of the very best ways to do that. That's one of the characteristics in general of women. We tend to watch, we tend to observe, we tend to sense when others feel a need. So if we can allow ourselves both to be vulnerable in that sense, but reach out when we're feeling that, don't say, oh, they, they don't really want my, my help, but actually reach out because we do, we feel that in one another. We were talking at lunch about a story I read. It was Elder Dean Larson. It was 40 years ago. But he was telling the story about being in a European porcelain shop with his daughter. And they were looking at the porcelain. And an elderly woman came up next to them. And she reached up and picked up something. And she dropped it. And it smashed all over the marble floor. Made a huge sound. And he said... I am embarrassed, but I instinctively drew back. That wasn't me. He didn't, you know, and his daughter standing next to him instinctively reached forward for the woman to make sure she was okay. And then he ended the talk by saying, I want to train myself so that I will instinctively go toward people instead of back away. And I think that's kind of a nice analogy about what we're talking about. In some of these ways, the sisterhood helps us train ourselves to instinctively look forward toward people and put our arms around them, even when it's a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. Some of us do that more naturally than others, but what you're saying is we can try a little bit harder to have that instinct. Yeah, I think our discipleship with Jesus Christ is what trains us or helps us refine those instincts. Mm -hmm. And the spirit to whisper in those moments, right, to lean in a little bit. Oh, wow. This is so amazing. Thank you so much for these stories, for introducing us to these women, these amazing women, and their circle of sisters around them. It's so beautiful. And it's such a wonderful way to celebrate the Relief Society. For you, as we kind of wrap up today, what do you hope the sisters listening feel as we've discussed belonging? I'll tell you a couple of things that have come to my mind, Carly. I hope that our sisters feel a greater desire to lift and strengthen and love one another, to look past the differences and actively look for the similarities. I hope we choose to value one another as daughters of God. And I really hope that every woman knows that she belongs to Relief Society, regardless of where she is currently serving in the church. Um, I hope we can help each other become prepared for the Savior's coming. That is our goal. Thank you. Thank you so much, President Bingham. I thought I'd just share this scripture. I alluded to it earlier in in 1 Corinthians, but it's the famous chapter about charity. And I think it helps us cover all the weaknesses that we all have because we all say things that we wished we hadn't. We all don't respond in the very best way. But it's amazing to me that after 180 years, an organization like Relief Society exists all over the world, women from all different cultures. There's a space and a place for us to be together and to try and develop this sisterhood. So I just thought I would read these verses out of 1 Corinthians 13, and they're famous. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And there's no question that is the motto of Relief Society, and I know why, because it's that Jesus Christ never fails. He never leaves us, and he helps us be with each other. And I just wish that every sister will know that there is a place for them. This is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is the Lord's Church, and there is a place for them by Him. As we help each other get closer to Him, and as we help each other understand that we are a beloved daughter of God and that we are needed in His Church. Thank you. Thank you so much to each of you for making the time for this. I I love that you thought we want to do this for the sisters to celebrate. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carly. Thank you. 
And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope these stories and conversations shared today inspire and lift you, and we hope you'll share this episode with your fellow sisters, your friends, and family members as we celebrate the Relief Society birthday worldwide this month. And if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. As we've shared, we'll be taking a short break from our weekly episodes for a time and won't be here next week, but we have some very exciting things in the works to share more women's stories and perspectives. And in the meantime, we'd love to hear your suggestions and ideas. So please share your thoughts with us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. And as we conclude, we would just like to thank again the wonderful Relief Society Presidency, President Bingham, Sister Eubank, and Sister Alberto, and their amazing and very helpful staff, um, and our inspiring guests, Tracy Browning, Michaeli Burton, Lily Bulliano, and Elena Alberto. This episode was produced by me, Carly Guyman, with story production and editing from Corinne Lay, and additional help from Luis Malaman and Jennifer Johnson. Our executive producer is Brittany Beatty and the Liahona Magazine. The episode was edited by Publishing Services of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Until next time, I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. 